One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Fast Talk, Street Talk, Mike Graham, fighting the good fight with all his might, providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk, Hot Talk, the independent republic of Mike Graham. On your mobile, on your wavelength, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Well, uh, what an awfully lot of things we've got to talk about. Uh, We've got the Paris summit going on uh, between Emmanuel Macron uh, and Rishi Sunak. I'm not going to make a big thing of the fact that they're two of the shortest leaders in the world. We've got a lot of short leaders in the world, apparently. But there is some kind of special relationship going on. Anything that happens there, by the way, uh, during the course of the next three hours, we will bring you. Uh, They're having a summit, of course, amongst other things, to talk about why nobody wants to talk about Brexit anymore. Uh, Apparently, the EU are fed up listening to people people talking about that, uh, presumably, uh, because uh, they've got other things to think about, like, for example, uh, their ridiculous uh, reliance on Russian gas in order to keep the place lit up. We're going to be talking to Richard Tice this morning. He's here. Uh, It comes out uh, just as the Telegraph reports that we're going to be spending something like £2 billion now on hotels to actually house illegal migrants in this country. Uh, This was the week uh, in which Rishi Sunak announced, through Suella Braverman, a new policy uh, which is going to stop the boats. That seems to be the the slogan for the moment. But are they going to stop the boats? I mean, the weather's been awful this week, and still they come in their thousands. And it could be that as many as 80,000 people come uh, this year alone. So we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about HS2, of course, uh, because HS2 it turns out, is now going to be even less important than it was when they announced it. Why is it that all of these projects start costing more and more and more money? And why on earth would anybody even think about spending the kind of money they're talking about spending on HS2, given what we know now about the way the train services work? Gary Lineker, of course, is still very much in the news. He's playing the BBC for fools, according to the front page of the Daily Mail. Uh, We'll be asking, why on earth is it that he keeps getting away with saying whatever he likes, and the BBC seems completely toothless to stop him. 0344 499 1000. We'll talk about the lockdown files, of course. Isabel Oakeshott's incredible exclusive, uh, which started last week and is still going. Uh, We'll also talk about the problem with the Labour Party. They don't seem to know two things. One, they don't know what they would do about the migrant crisis. Two, they still don't know what a woman is, even though this was the week of International Women's Day. We'll also be talking, of course, to Christian Walmart, uh, who knows a thing or two about the railways. Kevin O'Sullivan joins us as well. We'll find out what he's got to say about all manner of things, including of course his own show coming up on Saturday so John Redwood's going to be here LaDonna Harvey Alp Mehmet from Migration Watch it's all happening uh, we want to hear from you of course as well 0344 499 1000 is the number this is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham I've got a good idea about how to stop 
the migrant problem, and it would happen overnight. This is Talk TV. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. I'm delighted to say on a very miserable, cold, wet Friday morning, uh, but at least it's not snowing, uh, it's time to say a very good morning to Richard Tice. Richard, you're uh, looking very well this morning. <coughs> well, morning, say. Mike. I have to say that the news, though, is about the same as the weather. It's grey, it's murky, it's yeah. cold, and there's nothing good about it. There is isn't there? really anything good about it at all. I mean, the, the Telegraph this morning in particular uh, has got the, probably the best story of the day, uh, which is the Home Office facing a £2 billion bill to put migrants up in hotels. You've got some news on that. Well, I have, actually, and I'm going to correct you. It's an extra £2 billion on top of what they've already been right. spending. So, in, so they're already <coughs> spending £7 million a day, right? A day, that's right. And this is an extra £2 billion uh, in order to meet the bill. But here's something I can reveal, I think, for the first time on talk, which is that at the end of December, the Home Office confirmed with a Freedom of Information request that there were 452 hotels, mm. 452, that were occupied by the, uh, by the migrants. Yes. Uh, when a request was put in at the end of February, so just a couple of weeks ago, uh, they said, actually, we're no longer going to release this information, it's now exempt no, really? under the Freedom of Information laws. Oh, how nice. Basically, brackets, we're too embarrassed by the fact that it's now probably soared over 500, probably mm. approaching 600 hotels, yeah. close brackets. Right. Unbelievable. So here we are, supposedly able to use the Freedom of Information system to get the real news. And in a sense, <clears throat> we've got a government that is hiding embarrassing data. And it just, it's, it's so shocking. So we're well north of 500 hotels and with another 60, 70, 80,000 expected to arrive this year by the Home Office own projections, I, that's going to be approaching 800, 900, 1,000 hotels. Yeah. It's not surprising they're not releasing that information. Mike. And I'm just wondering if this gives also the lie to how many people they're actually putting up. Because 500 hotels, even if they only house, say, I don't know, what, 200 people each? Uh, that would give you what exactly? That would give you 100,000 people. Well, yeah, so say 100, 100 hotel, 500 hotels, that's your 50,000. That's the number that was reported. But you're right. But no, I mean, most hotels have <clears> got <throat> more than 100 rooms, haven't they? I mean, you would think that in, in places like, I don't know, if you took the Britannia Hotel in Liverpool, for example, yeah, where well, I've depends. had the misfortune of staying. Uh, somebody <laughs> checked me into it once. It's dreadful. Cockroaches in the room and all sorts. Um, I mean, that was a, a building of a, a, a minimum 12 storeys yeah, or something like that. Every I mean, hotel you'd get at different. least 500 people into that. Yeah, but they, they are renting hotels of all different sizes, and it depends whether or not it's one per room, two per room. What I'm saying is, is it possible that we're talking about 200,000 people here? It, it, anything it's not, is possible. It's not out of the <clears throat> ballpark. Anything is possible. And I think one should probably assume the worst rather than the best out of yeah. all of this. And it's getting worse. That's yeah. the key point. And what's really disturbing is, is the Home Office saying we're no longer uh, releasing this information because you know when they start hiding stuff that they're up to no good. Uh, completely. And I think people should be, uh, frankly, pretty sceptical of the meeting that's going on as we speak mm. between two of the shortest leaders in world history. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> Macron, I can <laughs> confirm, apparently according to... Um, uh, according to Google, Macron yeah. is five foot nine. I'm not buying that. No, I'm definitely not buying that. That's with heels on. That's in the cube with heels. Apparently, uh, Rishi is not quite as tall as him. Right. Uh, well, this is apparently one of the reasons why Macron likes Rishi so much, because I was listening to a French journalist talking the other day uh, on this very network, and she said that uh, the problem with Macron is that almost everybody that he meets is bigger than him. So when he finds somebody who isn't bigger than him, he absolutely laps it up. Well, I mean, so he loves Rishi. He wants to see Rishi all the time. You can see him there. Look, Rishi is now smaller than Macron. So Macron's loving that. 
That's the first time you've ever seen Macron towering over anyone. Look, the, 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 I mean, it's unbelievable. <laughs> the serious point, <clears throat> the serious point is that apparently Sunak is going to offer some 200 million. It's unclear whether that's over three years yeah, why? Or, or per annum. But it does seem pretty clear to everybody that what happens is the more money we send them, the more uh, illegal migrants yeah. they send us. Right. So if we increase the, the, the offer, you know what's going to happen, folks. Yeah. The number's going to increase. Exactly. And I mean, I was having this conversation last night on the talk, and I will come to your performance uh, with Piers last night as well in a minute about Gary Lineker. But, you know, people were saying things like, um, oh, well, it's very difficult to patrol the coastline of France. Well, sorry, they managed to do it during the war, didn't they? I mean, how difficult is it? And we are literally on a war footing now. Um, and somebody said, oh, the thing is that, you know, once they, um, they learn that, um, the, you know, the patrols are out there, they just set, set the boats out a bit further back, sort of in the river. And it's like, well, so? How, you know, they, it's not that difficult to stop these people, surely to God. So it, the truth is it happens very, very quickly. It, the, the smugglers use it like a, a rapid military operation. Uh, the lorries arrive with the, the box, with the boat. They clip on the engine, yeah. blow it up, all in about the space of 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah. And then the migrants are loaded up and it happens incredibly quickly. Mm. But the military drones and assets and satellites know exactly who is leaving, where, right. when. And they must you... also know, because we know this is important, because they don't come when the tides are going in the wrong direction. They, own, they have a sort of a, a window. That's right, they of, have a window. Of opportunity when the tide is right. So everybody should know when that is, surely. They do. Uh, they, they are, without question, broadening the, the length of the, uh, from which they're departing, uh, either side of Calais, so they've got a much uh, mm. longer beach to try and look these people are smart yeah and they are avoiding yeah, but if, you, if you deployed the right people for example i mean somebody here suggesting it mick uh, get the job done by competent army administrators Correct. over there if you put i mean i've worked in logistics uh, corps in bosnia and these are the people that can literally build a bridge in about an hour in order to get from one point of the mountain to the other point of the mountain you know these people are brilliant well, they're that, driving around your... in land rovers put them on, on the beaches it would all stop tomorrow that's your your first line of defense and then yeah. your second line of defense is to have some some rapid boats uh, that are basically patrolling up and down the coastline mm. and you've got to stop them, you've got to pick them up and you've got to safely take them back to France. Yeah. That is the only way that this will stop. Uh, that is the only way to deal with President Macron. Mm. And you know it works because it worked in Australia. And I've told and until people... That, until that happens, I promise you this will go on yeah. and on Of course and it will. On. Because the problem is, it's a money-making business now. I mean, it is an enterprise which has been entered into by uh, criminal organisations previously uh, used to smuggling drugs, so they're ruthless, they don't care who dies, they don't care but, who, who they kill in the process of doing their business because they're making millions of pounds a day. But Mike, remember, people on this side of the channel, lawfully the vested interests mm. of the outsourcing companies, running the hotels, yeah, Serco, the lawyers, cetera, yeah. the charities, they are making much, much higher profits than the people smugglers. Mm. So the vested interests on this side of the channel want this vile trade yeah. to continue. And that's why they're fighting so hard. Well, I'm hearing that's that, why the lefty know, establishment are bleating yes. and whining in the way they and are. And we'll come on to the lefty establishment in the form of Gary Lineker in a second. But I'm hearing, in addition to Britannia, who we know have sold an awful lot of their hotel rooms for the next foreseeable at least year, possibly two, that there's another major chain, I'm not going to name them, um, another major chain operation operations around the country who have also now started taking that business. And so you try and get a hotel in another one of those big chains, you won't be able to anywhere in the country. It's going on and on. And that's why the Home Office are so embarrassed that they no longer will reveal the number mm. of hotels uh, that have been commandeered, essentially. Right. And what that also means is that they will be trying to rent 
uh, many more thousands of properties which for, for like five years uh, with all expenses mm. paid, refurbished at the end of the period. So you just know that this is going on and the knock-on effect everywhere. Because if they rent thousands more property, guess what that means? It means that there's less properties in the rental market yeah. for ordinary British citizens yeah. to rent. That pushes rents well, up. It and also, so it goes on. It also pushes people who are on the sort of social housing list who are hopeful of getting some kind of you know reduced rate rental um, further away from ever getting it. And that's why it's so unfair because it's it's hugely hugely detrimental to uh, the least well off, uh, the lowest paid. Uh, here in the UK, who want to get on the ladder, who want to be able to try and rent their own home, and they're finding themselves priced out of the market by people who are coming here mm. illegally, and it is illegally, yeah. um, and unfairly, uh, taking uh, uh, taking uh, hotels, taking homes, and also being being rewarded for it with uh, with free heating, free cleaning. Free accommodation. Well, if you're also if you're food. a landlord and you're in Stoke, for example, you're being offered the chance to sign up um, a deal for five years in which the rent is guaranteed, uh, the council tax bills are guaranteed, all the bills are guaranteed, paid for by Serco because they're making so much money from the government and refurbished at the end of the five year yeah. period. And the fact that they're taking out five year leases mm. shows you that they've got no intention of sorting this problem out, sorting out the backlog anytime soon. That is the clearest indication whatsoever that the establishment have no intention of sorting this out. No. And people have just got to understand that uh, this is all warm words and waffle we hear from the government. And as for what we heard from Keir Starmer, uh, actually, Rishi Sunak was quite right in mm. his attack on him. He's just another PM. lefty lawyer. He's just another Correct. lefty lawyer. A lot of these other lawyers, they're probably his mates at dinner parties. Yeah. And the gravy train goes on. Yeah, it really does. We'll find out what your thoughts are on Gary Lineker. He's still on many of the front pages this morning. He's still defiantly uh, saying that he's going to continue to speak up uh, for those who have no voice. Brilliant. Yeah, well done. There's plenty of people here who don't have a voice in this country, Gary, before you start talking up on behalf of some people uh, who may be coming here with nefarious uh, ideas in their head. But coming up, uh, talk about that. We'll also talk about HS2 and much else besides. This is Talk TV. On DAB Plus, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Lots going on this morning. Richard Tice is here. Let's talk about Gary Lineker. He's still on the front pages uh, of a lot of the papers. He came out of his house yesterday, shortly before getting into a chauffeur-driven car, which, of course, he's entirely entitled to do. Um, and he said that uh, he would not be silenced, effectively. He's going to continue to say what he wants to say. He seems that you had a very interesting uh, debate last night with Piers Morgan, uh, in which you basically said, you know, that... Nobody wants him fired as such, but I think the BBC's at fault here, aren't they? Well, look, the reality is that we welcome free speech, yeah. and he's as entitled to anybody to have an opinion. That's absolutely fine, but the reality is that uh, he is the face of the BBC. No mm. one's interested whether he's got an employment contract no. or a freelance contract. He's the face of the BBC, yeah. and uh, he is bringing the, the BBC into disrepute yeah. when many millions are questioning why we have to be forced to pay the licence fee on pain of going to jail. So that's the first point. The second Mm. point is he's in clear breach of their trust and impartiality guidelines, the editorial guidelines. Absolutely. And the third thing that he's in breach of is the social media requirements under their code of conduct. And whatever contract he's got, um, basically that will be subject to complying with the code of conduct, which says that you cannot even use your personal Twitter Mm. account or social media, let alone your BBC one, um, in order to make political statements that are basically clearly uh, 
give a strong view yeah. one way or the other because that's not the role of and people also, at for, the BBC. For him to hide behind this, oh, I'm just a sports presenter, is complete garbage. Everybody knows that. He is, as you say, the face of the BBC. He also presented uh, a show in Qatar which was all about Qatar's human rights failings and nothing to do with football whatsoever. He also was on Newsnight um, a few weeks back uh, being asked about his opinion on something or other that he tweeted about which has nothing to do with football. You know, and at the end of the day, you know, everybody knows that, that Gary Lineker is basically a national figure uh, associated with the image of the BBC. And I can also tell you that people inside the BBC are not happy with what he's doing. Uh, that's the other right. So he's also causing massive angst because everybody in the BBC is trying to uh, you know, abide by the rules and they react with fury when it seems that it's one rule for them, but there's no rules yeah. for Gary Lineker. And he's got to make a choice. If he wants to stay the face of the BBC, then he's got to stop. But we all know he won't. And therefore, actually, he should either leave or the BBC yeah. must ask him to leave so that he can right. go and pursue his, his free speech uh, rights elsewhere. And let's pretend for a moment that he hadn't said what he said about likening this government to the Nazis, which is absolutely unforgivable, unforgivable. and appalling, right? Um, imagine if he had instead highlighted this particular issue uh, of a man imported here from Iraq who came here on a dinghy by the name of Rebaz Mohammed, who was uh, uh, responsible for attacking Ellis Wheeler, a teenager, uh, who stabbed? He, he was stabbed uh, by this guy, Muhammad um, Rebaz Muhammad, um, and he punctured his lung in broad daylight. Uh, there's footage of it happening, which we might be able to see in a little while. Imagine if he had said, "These are the kind of people coming on dinghies. These are the kind of people that we don't need." You can see it now. These are the kind of people that shouldn't be coming to this country, and this is why we need to crack down uh, on the boat people. He'd have been out the door He'd quicker than you could say, you know, Nigel Farage. Absolutely no question at all. Yeah. That highlights the absurd, ridiculous double standards of the BBC. Because yeah. if it had been on, on this side of the argument, saying that actually we need to have secure borders and we don't want uh, to be importing uh, people like this who are uh, committing horrific, violent crimes, then, yeah, he would have been out the door. Yeah. And this story is unbelievable that you've got a, uh, an Iraqi migrant who wanted to be deported back to Iraq, yes. but who was basically told by the, the system, I think, uh, that um, basically he had to commit a violent crime mm. in order to be able to be deported. I mean, what sort of incompetent home office have we now got? So then he went sake. and did it. So, so he went and did right. a, a violent crime and must have nearly killed this uh, this poor chap, yeah. Ellis Wheeler. Well, he was left fighting for his life. I think yeah. he still struggles to sleep. He's dogged by anxiety. You know, but this is unforgivable. It's, it's, worse than that. it's, actually, it's gross negligence, mm. Mike. It's gross yeah. negligence, and people have got to be held to be accountable. Yeah, and this guy, I mean, people always say, oh, how do you know that these people coming on dinghies are, are dangerous? Well, we don't know. That's the whole point. But some of them definitely are, because we have seen individual cases where people who have come here on dinghies have committed crime, have stabbed people, have murdered people, you know, have pretended to be uh, younger than they really are. You know, it's this whole thing. It's an absolute shambles. It, it, it is absolutely chaotic and I think we are at the point where it is negligence by so many different people within the Home Office within other areas and let's not remember uh, that recent horrific um, murder that was, uh, that was down in Bournemouth uh, down in Bournemouth yeah um, you had Labour MPs who had previously signed a letter to ask that guy to ask that guy be mm. uh, retained here in the UK yeah. and he was retained and went on to commit a murder. Unbelievable. Well, they got plenty of form on that. I mean, Keir Starmer was quite rightly, um, you know, hung out to dry very cleverly by Suella Braverman earlier this week when she said, you know, you're the one that signed a letter that enabled a Jamaican criminal yeah. to stay in this country. We wanted him to be deported. As a result of your action, 
he killed somebody else. It's, it's, I don't know how they can sleep at night, these Labour people. It's, it's unforgivable, and I, uh, it's impossible to know how they sleep at night, but they do. Uh, they seem to think that they are the kind and progressive and compassionate ones. Yeah, well, of course they do, but of course they're not, and we know the truth of that. So we'll find out over the course of the weekend what's going on with Gary Lineker. Let's talk about HS2, HS2. Uh, a bugbear of yours for a long time. It has, actually. I mean, it was one of the first policies when we launched the Brexit party yeah. back in uh, early 2019, apart from, obviously, Brexit. But Nigel and I have felt for years and years that HS2 was a massive, massive white elephant, yeah. an absurd waste of money. You should be investing money in regional infrastructure, not this north-south yeah. route, south route. And I said at the time, it'll cost over 100 billion quid. Yeah. Sure enough, it's going to cost way over 100 billion. So and now, it's not going to go anywhere. It's, well, now it's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> it'll be lucky if it gets to Birmingham at this rate. I mean, it might end up going from Euston to Oak Common. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is absurd. So now we're being told, having always been told, that if you delay expenditure, it'll increase the cost. We're now being told that it's going to be delayed by, by at least two years in the sections mm. north of Birmingham yeah. in order to save money. So the, the government's uh, people have they've done a complete U-turn. Uh, basically, I, I think this will not go north of Birmingham. They're no. saying if it, if it does, then at the earliest it would open up to Crewe would be 2035, I think it is, up to Manchester, if it ever gets up there. Uh, it'll be 2041. I mean, dream on. There's not a, there is, there is I mean, no I don't, chance. I don't wish to, to tempt fate here, but I suspect that uh, this thing will not be running before I drop dead at some point. I, I think mean, that's right. I, I think even you uh, may not last until uh, actually... Even I. Gets I know you've ground. got... I, I, don't, you've... I don't wish to be negative in any way, Richard, you know. <laughs> but, but seriously, we're talking 20 years. I mean, the Chinese would build this in about six months. And they'd be running high-speed trains. I'm told one of the reasons it's such a problem is because they've become obsessed with the high spec of the speed of the trains because they wanted it to be able to do some ridiculous speed like 250 miles an hour. And I was listening to an engineer talking about this this morning. And so they've had to make everything really, really flat. So instead of, you know, what normal rails would do, go over sort of slightly bumpy ground, they've had to absolutely oh, that, bulldoze that, everything out of the way. That is correct. But then actually very quietly, they've reduced the maximum speed in order to try and reduce the cost. But mm. they weren't very uh, open about telling everybody that. Funny uh, that. Look, they're, they're, and I can tell you because I know some farmers along the route, the expenditure and the waste is utterly grotesque. Mm. There are rows and rows of brand new pieces of equipment yeah. that are just sitting there doing nothing for yeah. a week and week on end. Um, all sorts of environmental bugs and bunnies surveys yeah. going on month after month. Absolutely right. The, the whole thing is, it's it's a massive grave. Anybody train. who it's lives on that line and who lives in land or anywhere near land that was going to be recommissioned or decommissioned or, or commissioned um, knows what a nightmare it is. Funnily enough, my uh, where I got my dog from up in Uxbridge, uh, we used to take the dog back there occasionally for, for holidays and stuff like that. Um, and I remember very well for about a six-month period, the road that the, the, the dog uh, breeder was on was completely shut off. You couldn't yeah. go, you couldn't get from one end of it to the other. You had to go on some circuitous route that took about half an hour. And if you lived there, it was an absolute nightmare. Look, the Just reality is, I've said it before, I'll say it again. In the world of business that I come from, mm. the first loss is the best loss. Yeah. Don't pour good money after bad. I think they've probably blown so far, give or take 30 billion. Um, but what you should do is you should basically write that off Stop it now. Mm. You should spend because they'll spend at least another hundred billion if they want to take mm. this up to Manchester. At least another hundred billion. Yeah. Let's not forget they've already lopped off the arm that was going to uh, go to uh, to Leeds mm. uh, to help the northeast. That's already gone. That's just been trashed. So I think you should stop it now. And of that hundred billion that we'll save, invest fifty billion yeah. on the east-west links in the north. 
uh, regional infrastructure, new trains and things in the north, save 50 billion, and we can put that to better use yeah. in cutting taxes, and, and growing since, the economy. And since they've started the project, fewer people, not more people, are actually travelling by train. So brilliant. Great business model. It's ridiculous. It, the, the whole now, thing I can't ridiculous. let you go without mentioning that you and I will be spending some time tomorrow together ah, yes. uh, at Twickenham. We will uh, indeed. You very kindly invited myself. I have, but I'm a little bit Sullivan. concerned because it, I, this is not good. And I do think it's important that uh, your wonderful listeners appreciate this. You apparently might be supporting France tomorrow. I may well be. Now, this um, is not good. There's because, a reason for that. Because, because of, you're living in the United Kingdom. Yes. You claim to have some Scottish blood, but I, in reality... I do actually have all Scottish blood. It's okay. all Scottish. We'll let you off that. But the reality Kevin is... Kevin doesn't like me saying that. It upsets him. <laughs> But, you know, you, are, you, you have to support England against the French. I mean, you know, you talk against President Macron, but yes. now you're going to support Is him. this a condition of carriage? Well, it could well be a condition <laughs> of carriage. <laughs> I always support um, Wales in the rugby, I have to say, but they're so but bad. Really Welsh they're so you. bad this year. No, but I spent a lot of time <laughs> with the Welsh rugby team down in Wales when I was working down there. I do have Scottish blood, so I do support Scotland Which against England. Which is fantastic. England. Yeah. And I just, I mean, you know me, Richard, I'm partly thinking of supporting France just to annoy people. Particularly you. And particularly Kevin. me. Yeah. But but I think what I'm hoping is that once again it will turn out that you're wrong because England will win. You'll have supported the wrong side. You'll yeah. have made the wrong I'm call. Just, I'm also just hoping you're not going to bring a guest who's going to start attacking me <laughs> for no apparent reason. Um, I don't think he's coming this year. Unfortunately, it's going to be good. But I can't wait to see you. It's going to be very fun. I'm hoping as well it's not going to be raining because it would be nice if we had a nice uh, no, day. The weather for forecast it. is a little bit better. Yeah. And I think England like a nice dry ball at Twickenham. Yeah. There'll be lots of singing. I have to say, by the way, France is looking pretty good as well. Yes, they are, but uh, I'm confident. I think, I think we'll win on the day okay. uh, with our loud support. Okay, excellent. And the lunch will probably be pretty good as well. And, uh, of course, you'll be back here on uh, Sunday morning, I'll 10 o'clock. I'll be back on Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, with a big sermon. No doubt that will be sizzling hot. And do you know what we didn't get around to talking about? I and mean, we have to let you go. We didn't get around to talking about Isabel Oakeshott. Uh, and her incredible week. So just we salute her. I just want to take my hat off to what she did. Uh, we'll be talking to her again next week, I'm sure. Um, yeah, she, and, she uh, has had a, a, an extraordinary 10 days. Yeah. Uh, she's had lots of support, uh, but also she's had lots of absurd abuse from, yeah. from people in the industry who I frankly know. are just jealous Ridiculous. of her success. And they're focusing on the wrong thing. Mm. Focus on the abuse of power by people in government mm. who didn't tell us the truth. That's what people need to focus on. Exactly right. Richard, good to see you. We'll see you tomorrow. Uh, more coming up. We're going to talk about HS2. We're going to talk about more migrant stuff as well. Also, Mark Bukowski is going to join us with his view on the whole Gary Lineker bizarre uh, situation. This is Talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham. It looks as though the sun's actually come out. Incredible. I don't think I've seen it for about three days. It's been raining solid. I thought I was in another episode of, uh, uh, what's that movie called where it rains all the time? can't remember. Anyway, the one with the replicants in it. Anyway, you know what I mean. Uh, 0344 is the number. Got lots of you uh, talking about all sorts of things that we've been mentioning this morning. What's going on with Sue Gray, please, Mike? Can you tell us, says Angie. Are they checking her laptop? A report needs scrapping, and in fairness to Boris, this kangaroo court stitch-up needs throwing out. Uh, well, I don't know is the straight answer to that. I think that uh, the process of Sue Gray moving from uh, her job in the civil service to the Labour Party is probably going to take longer than everybody expects it to. And in fact, I think it might not happen at all. Uh, Mike, I'll be dead by the time HS2 comes to Manchester. I won't be levelled up. I'll be levelled down in the ground, says Jackie. Yeah, very well said. Let's talk to a man who knows a thing or two about the railways. Christian Walmar, transport commentator and author of the story of Crossrail, which finally did actually sort of open. Um, Christian, a very good morning to you. Uh, good morning. I'm, I'm afraid that this is a very rare issue where I probably agree 100% with both you and uh, Richard Trice. Yes, because, I mean, that is unusual. Uh, 
I know this is very unusual, but uh, on uh, HS2, uh, we're all at one here. You make an interesting point about Crosswell, because actually at one point, I was actually rather against Crosswell. And yes. I, I thought, oh, this is not, not necessary. And then when you see it now, and, and in fact, when I, I did change my mind while I was writing the book on it, you can't deny, Mike, can you, that, you know, yes, it might have gone uh, two billion over three billion over budget and, and so on. And it took longer than expected. But my God, it's a wonderful railway and a wonderful addition to London, don't, don't you think? Well, do you know, I'd like to agree with you because it sounds like it is, but I haven't actually been on it yet because I get, I get, <laughs> right, yes. I get, I get sort of mixed reviews from people who use the Elizabeth line. Some people say it's brilliant. Other people say it's a bit unreliable, doesn't always run as well as it should. Um, and it was a bit of a staggered start. Um, I suppose the proof in the pudding is how many people are using it. And I, 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 100 million have used it so far. 100 so, million. Well, then that yeah. makes it a success already, doesn't it? Um, uh, it, it does, really. I yeah. mean, and, and it, it, it's a different level of public transport. I mean, you know, one can moan about the tube and, you know, God, the tube can get hot and sweaty and is, is awful at times and very overcrowded. This is an air-conditioned railway uh, that is very fast, takes you right across London in, in 10, 12 minutes from Liverpool Street right through to Paddington. Um, it, it has platform doors. It has huge 250-metre-long uh, platforms. This is this is 21st century transport, and it's something that, you know, in 100, 150 years will probably still seem like a, a good way of getting around London, whereas the Tube is not. The Tube is becoming um, a very, very difficult mode of transport. I have been on that recently, and it's always, no matter when you go on it, it seems to be rammed it's full crowded. of people, um, and the trains are not running very well. But I, I suppose Crossrail, and the story of Crossrail, uh, might be said to be the complete antithesis of HS2, because... Yes, it was over budget, but it ended up going where it said it was going to go. HS2 now looks as though it's not going to go where it was meant to go. And it also looks as though um, they're never going to get it up to speed in terms of the speed they wanted it to travel at. Somebody I listened to this morning suggested this. Why didn't they start building it in the north first? And then they could have worried about it getting down south later. But Mike, Mike, there's all these questions. I mean, you know, they never had to design it for 400 kilometres an hour. That was that was mm. insanity. And because if you just to explain to your listeners, if you design something for 400 kilometres an hour instead of uh, 300, uh, it actually uh, makes it much more expensive. The, the, the right. lines have to be straighter. The uh, tracks have to be stronger and, and all this kind of uh, stuff. And it adds a lot of cost. Why did that? I, I said this 10 years ago. I said, why are you building it to 400 kilometers mm. an hour? No, no, no other railway in the world operates at 250 miles an hour. You just don't need it, right? right? Uh, most high-speed lines operate at 186 miles an hour, which is uh, perfectly reasonable, right? Yeah. So there's that. And then there's uh, the fact that, uh, you know, they've come up against unexpected ground conditions, which have added apparently an enormous... Uh, cost to it and you know you know what there isn't a, a, a transport scheme that doesn't have unexpected ground conditions they're always unexpected because you know what the ground's like so of course they're unexpected yeah right. so all these sort of factors have added amazing amount of cost what they should have done and and boris should have done this when he did a review kind of three years ago they should have actually placed very strict limits on what could be done and how much uh, should be spent because you know what mike much as i've disliked this scheme all along do you really think you can leave all those places where you walk your dog and all those other places that are a complete mess in the Chilterns 
completely abandoned and have all these tunnels that are half built and viaducts. So what they've done is is a fudge. They basically made it kind of more uh, longer term, which of course will add costs. And they basically said, well, we're continuing with it, but it, we're going to try and save a bit of money in the short term, cost more money in the long term. Yeah. But just looking at those shots you have for uh, it's your amazingly huge as a, as a, as a, as a huge. sort of a public works yeah. situation it's massive isn't it yeah yeah it's mad and it would be wonderful look it would be a wonderful railway it would be absolutely great the trouble is mike i'm 73 i'm not going to make it me oh, well, listen i'm i'm 10 years younger than you i'm not going to make it either such a rich entice. i don't think i don't think either. he's going to get on it either because also <laughs> we don't really need it for heaven's sake with fewer people traveling by train now thanks to the useless train companies uh, who have managed to drive sort of train travel into the ground in this country and i know uh, in some cases it still works pretty well but a lot of people don't bother traveling by train anymore uh, no, I mean, I do think that will get better. I mean, I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, I think once the industrial action is over uh, and they start focusing it. But but you know what? That This kind of project, and I'm amazed at your pictures that, that your viewers can see here. I mean, it just shows how much, Incredible. How much work has been done. Yeah. If this work was being done on improving the existing railway yeah. um, and building, say, tram schemes in, in towns, which are very popular, improving bus services, which isn't that expensive mm. to do, uh, you know, we'd be getting a lot more people out of their cars than building this absolutely massive piece of infrastructure that is at best going to be not very heavily used, not least because they've cut the eastern leg off. It's now not going to go to Manchester till we're all pushing up daisies. Um, you know, it's it's going to be a very limited railway between London and Birmingham. And, you know, there's lots of ways getting between London and Birmingham, three different ways by railway. They don't really need one for that. They, they needed it to kind of link with the north, but this isn't going to happen. No. And as Richard Tice said, you know, it's it's absolutely imperative to improve rail links in the north across the east-west. It's not imperative to, to give London kind of better access to these places because you can already get to Manchester in two hours. Yeah. Crossrail was a, a unique selling point. It got you across London quicker. It's a modern railway and all that. This has no unique selling point. No, Apart from that, it's a great idea. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> and we've got so much spare money to throw around as well. Christian, good to see you. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Very good to talk to you. Christian Walmart, transport commentator, author of the story of Crossrail. I mean, HS2, what an absolute and utter waste of our money. It's our money they're wasting, by the way. We'll talk some more about that. We'll take your calls on it as well. And if you've been affected by any of the workings of HS2, I'd love to hear from you. You might have had your house repossessed. You might have had your house sold off. Uh, possibly the road that you live in uh, actually shut down for quite a considerable period of time. It's been a maniacal race to nowhere. That's where it's going. Absolutely nowhere. HS2. Why? What's it for? This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Lots going on today. We've got, of course, Kevin O'Sullivan to talk to coming up in a little while. Uh, also, we'll be talking to Alp Mehmet uh, in the final hour of the show with the latest on the migrant situation, of course, because uh, there's still no end to the numbers of people coming to this country. Why? Because they can. And there's nothing going on in Paris, it seems to me, between Rishi Sunak and Emmanuel Macron. And we'll bring you that live if it does happen. Uh, that he's going to stop any of it, to be honest. 0344 499 one. 
thousand. Let's talk to Sam Olson, host of What China Wants podcast, of course, uh, because um, the lockdown files have released all sorts of very, very interesting information. Uh, these are the uh, WhatsApp messages that went from um, Matt Hancock to Isabel Oakshot and then to the Daily Telegraph. They've been publishing all of these stories over the course of the last two weeks, effectively. One of them uh, was about the Wuhan leak theory. Uh, basically, Downing Street has distanced itself, uh, apparently, from the Cabinet Office's claim that it was entirely coincidental that COVID-19 was discovered uh, close to a Chinese government laboratory. On Wednesday, the Telegraph said um, that Matt Hancock was censored over... One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. His concern that the virus was the result of a lab leak. The stories about the lab leak, of course, have been coming thick and fast um, ever since the Americans more or less said, uh, the FBI particularly said, oh, we think maybe that was the most likely source. Let's find out uh, what's going on. Sam, very good morning to you. Morning. So, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, that we find out more about the workings of government uh, and the way that people make decisions based on many of these uh, WhatsApp files that we've seen. Um, because it now seems clear that when people first started talking about the lab leak theory, it was dismissed not because there was no evidence, but largely because it was being promulgated by Donald Trump and nobody wanted to believe it. Well, it's a good, good point. And, and uh, it was really weird at the time when people did dismiss it so out of hand, when there was no evidence either for it or against it. Yeah. But uh, a lot of the arguments against it from commentators, perhaps spooked by Trump, was that oh, something like this would never happen. But it quite clearly does happen. And lab leaks have been a, a thing. You know, in the UK alone, we've had uh, the 2007 foot and mouth outbreak caused by lab leak, uh, the 1978 smallpox uh, incident, which uh, led to the death of that woman. Uh, that was a lab leak. Uh, and, and the UK has got probably the strongest and the strictest um, considerations around lab security. Mm. And having been to China uh, and seen labs, uh, you know, worked in China for a long time, and, and a lot of the labs there, would not obviously haven't seen the, the biosecurity ones, but the general labs, some of them aren't in the best uh, state of, uh, of management. Mm. 
it's easy to believe that a lab leak would happen. But um, if you're right and if others are right, that it, people dismissed it because of Donald Trump. But I think that's that's pretty rum. Yeah, it really is. I mean, Rishi Sunak's people are still saying, basically, they want a proper science-led review into possible uh, places where it could have come from and all the possibilities remain on the table. I mean, what exactly are they expecting to do because we've already had the WHO going into uh, China and finding nothing of any merit whatsoever because they've obviously just given um, short shrift by the Chinese government um, and nobody's ever really going to get to the bottom of this, are they? Probably not. No, the the CCP um, it does a lot of um, good, despite what people uh, some people might think. The CCP does a lot of good to sort out many things for its citizens, but one of the things it doesn't do is provide lots of easily accessible data for others to make a decision on that. Yes, um, and uh, I think that it's a very uh, difficult to imagine the CCP providing the data which will allow scientists from all over the world to get to grips with what did happen. But actually, the the lab leak. Um, does not fit in with what they want. And I've written about this b b before, but um, the lab leak, if if it did happen, is something that the CCP would not want to admit to because it goes against the grain of what the CCP want to project to their people and to the outside world, which is that uh, China is a science superpower. And if things go wrong and lead to worldwide pandemics because of a slip-up at a Chinese lab, well, that goes really against what uh, China wants itself to be known for. However, the bat-eating theory, which sounds crazy in retrospect, but it was something which push, pushed quite heavily in the early days of, of COVID. Um, this actually is something that falls into what the CCP want, which is to move people away from the old way of doing things. And bat-eating um, is a, a thing in China, in certain parts of China. It's much uh, deplored by many, uh, but it still happens. And actually, uh, by saying that eating bats led to uh, the virus, that actually gives the CCP the sucker to be able to say, stop doing old traditional things and embrace the new. Mm. And the only thing that's going to happen, the only way that's going to happen is by is by coming along with the CCP. So the story, the storylines put out by the CCP do make sense from their own personal point of view, but that gets in the way of actually finding out the truth. And because the CCP has got the access to the data only, uh, we're very unlikely to find what that truth is ever. But I think it's unfortunate, isn't it, that what we seem to be seeing here is the government's sort of willingness to conceal things uh, almost as a natural instinct rather than to discuss them. And it seems that from uh, from what we know about Hancock's book, The Pandemic Diaries, he was actually asked to remove passages from it which referred to this leak uh, and whether or not uh, the, the, the Chinese story was actually real or whether it should be challenged. Uh, he was told that if he was uh, questioning the official Chinese version of events, it could be problematic and could damage national security. So, I mean, I don't know if we will ever learn the truth here. Well, I actually, uh, the risk of sounding a bit contentious, I do understand where the, the government's coming from in this because... Um, to put it bluntly, um, we are economically exposed in a big way to China. Um, our, a lot of minerals um, and uh, components come from China. They are, after all, 30% of the world's manufacturing um, and provide 85% um, of the processed rare earths, which are absolutely vital for the defense industries and for uh, the, the renewable energy sector here. Um, and if we... Uh, to put it bluntly, if we went to, to task on China now, um, as 
um, people would want, but as the Australians have already shown, um, then we would be hitting a nerve and the Chinese would likely push back. And we do not have the capability now because we have not done the planning in defending ourselves against economic coercion led by Beijing, whether that was to hit, uh, for example, the export of, of rare earths, as I mentioned, but also the education sector, which is incredibly exposed to China yeah. um, and many other areas as well. And so I don't know this, but I should imagine that what's going through the minds of the government officials that are looking at uh, Matt Hancock's book and saying, OK, we know China's got a track record and hitting back when it comes to COVID accusations. We do not want China to hit back on us until we've got our ducks in a row. Let's get our ducks in a row and then we can be more open and honest about things. And actually, if you look at it from a national security point of view, purely and, and, and it upsets me to say this because we all want uh, a democratic and open government uh, but if you're looking at the national security point of view you can get their point yeah i think you can but you know it takes uh, more than a sort of sledgehammer it seems to crack a nut inside of the cabinet when anybody mentions china everybody sort of scurries off and goes oh let's go to the toilet nobody wants to talk about it no and and this is a real pity first of all no one wants to talk about it because people find it very difficult to understand hardly anyone in uh, in the british government or uh, even in the civil service has any expertise on china there's hardly any mandarin speakers hardly anyone that spent time there um and uh, this is a real problem because it means that there is a bit of a panic when it comes to dealing with china but that the second point is that there is very little appetite because of the war in Ukraine and the, the way that that has completely uh, absorbed all government thinking mm. in planning for what China could do. And that involves planning on, on, on how to avoid being at the economic, uh, economically exposed either directly or indirectly, as some of our research has shown in, in, in the Evenstar Institute. Um, we are completely exposed to many elements in the supply chain, uh, especially at the national security level. And if you've got a government that doesn't understand China uh, is absorbed by Ukraine and Russia um, and thinks that China perhaps is something we can deal with later on, then you can understand why, why we haven't done that planning. But for goodness sake, we need to get on with this planning because if China does decide to do something against us for whatever reason over Taiwan or because we've taken America's side on uh, sanctions on Russia or many other reasons, then China does have the ability to cause immense harm on the UK from an economic and a national security point of view. Absolutely right. Sam, thanks for talking to us. Sam Olson, host of What China Wants, the podcast, um, talking about how um, skittish everybody seems to get in this country, particularly in government, uh, when you mention the word China and when you mention the word Wuhan and when you mention the lab leak. It's all very odd, isn't it? Uh, we'll be coming back uh, to that particular subject. We'll be talking some more uh, about it as well. Um, here's a story about HS2 uh, from um, Steve in Lancashire. He says, Mike, HS2 isn't a waste of our money. It's blatant theft of our money. A transfer of public purse to large corporations involved in it, planning, design, project management, material supply, construction, etc. All profit for them into shareholder dividends and to owners. Little doubt some politicians uh, will have shareholdings uh, in all of these entities. Carol says, where's all the money coming from to give to France? I want to know how much more are we going to give? They've done nothing uh, with what they've had so far. We're all struggling to pay the bills. They're on French beaches, so it's their problem. We should pay our Navy to patrol them. Well, I mean, you would think all of these things are relatively easy to solve. You know, I have a very, very clear notion of how to stop the boats. Everybody knows how you could do it. Everybody listening to this show has got a better idea than this government has got. The idea is certainly not to give the French a load more money hundreds of millions more pounds are not going to solve the problem. 
puncturing the boats, that would solve the problem. Stopping the people getting into the boats, that would solve the problem. Cutting off the people suppliers uh, and the people traffickers at the knees, that would solve the problem. There's so many ways you could do it instead of just throwing money at it. Politicians seem to think that throwing money at things fixes them. It doesn't. Just look at the NHS, for heaven's sake. Uh, we'll take more of your calls coming next. Kevin O'Sullivan's here as well. Uh, lots for him to do this weekend. Plus, we go to the rugby. This is Talk TV. Fast Talk. Street Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk. Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On your mobile, on your wavelength. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's the end of the week. It's a Friday. There's lots coming up. Plank of the week tonight at 7 o'clock. Of course, you don't want to miss that. Uh, That is, of course, the one place where you can be as judgmental as you like. You don't have to worry about uh, being unwoke. Uh, You don't have to worry about what you say about people because we will pick the plank of the week. And this week, I think you probably know there might be only one. Last week it was Matt Hancock, obviously. Uh, he might well make it again this week, who can say? Uh, but Gary Lineker's name might well be mentioned. Uh, my Lord in Sunbury says this, Gary Lineker and Putin both deploying the same tactic of calling the people they oppose fascists. This says it all about what you need to know about their thoughts and processes. I think that's absolutely right. Uh, here's one from Deb in Chesterfield. Mike, I want to hear more about your trip with Kevin Richard and that man who attacked you. Some impressions as well, please, of Meghan and Harry. The nation needs you to make it make us laugh. Um, well, I, I have told that story before. Uh, it is a very amusing one. Um, and I may well tell it again, but I'll tell you what I will do. If I promise to tell you it on uh, the Thought Police podcast, which I do with Kevin on a weekly basis, you can certainly find it there. Uh, you might need to go back a year. But anyway, uh, it is a very funny story. This bloke leapt on me in the back of a cab, tried to throttle me, uh, and I'm afraid I had to beat him off uh, and uh, collapse his elbows in order to get him off me because I was genuinely in fear of actually losing uh, the ability to breathe because he was quite a big guy and he was off his face. Um, found me very annoying, apparently. <laughs> I spent most of the afternoon winding him up and he eventually went completely bananas. And so I ended up sitting basically with my foot on his chest uh, as he was sitting opposite me in a taxi, uh, holding him back. And I was like, if you move, you're going out the window. <laughs> he never made it home, I'm afraid. Uh, his wife wasn't very pleased. Either. He lived in Milton Keynes or somewhere. He never made it up there. Anyway, not to worry. Let's talk to Alp Mehmet, chairman of Migration Watch, of course, uh, on the French summit, which is currently going on. Uh, we're calling it a uh, Le Bromance, uh, is what people are saying, because uh, Rishi Sunak and Emmanuel Macron get on terribly well. Well, it's not surprising they get on terribly well if the end result of the meeting is going to be um, Emmanuel Macron taking control of a couple of hundred more million quid uh, because he's managed to con it out of Rishi Sunak on the basis that it's going to stop the migrants coming. Uh, Alp, a very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Mike. I mean, it's a bit like one of these, I said it's a bit like one of these shops that you open up in the centre of a town. You say, we're selling everything here. If you want yourself to get a Lamborghini, it's only 500 quid, but you've got to come down and give us a deposit of 50 quid. You go down there, give them the deposit, they go back next week, they say, give us another 50 quid, uh, and you just keep going like that, but the Lamborghini never appears. We keep giving the French money for nothing to happen. In fact, it gets worse. More people come here, the more money we give them. That seems to be exactly what's happening, Mike. What what I don't see is why the French refuse to accept that dealing with this problem is just as much in their interests as it is in ours. And I'd like to believe that some of the money that we're handing over is uh, is going to be put to some good use. Um, 
it won't stop people crossing the channel. It won't stop people making their way into France and heading for Calais. So um, I can understand why people, including us, feel frustrated with this whole strategy of paying the French to stop them from uh, setting off in the first mm. place. It, it won't work. No, of course it won't work. I mean, the one thing that will work is if they actually stop the boats from ever getting into the water. And I've suggested many occasions where uh, you could actually just puncture the boats, you could confiscate the boats, you could easily track the boats. It's, it can't be that difficult to patrol that stretch of beach. We keep hearing from people, oh, it's a very difficult piece of uh, land to patrol. Well, why is it difficult? I don't understand why that's so difficult. Well, I, I mean, if, even if they were to, uh, having intercepted those who are setting off if they didn't sort of set them free and let them try again the next day or the day after then i'd say well okay they're, they're at least having some sort of impact but the problem is that there they are i don't know stopping 30 40 000, they claim but they don't tell us what happened to those 30 or 40 000 mm. having been intercepted and having been turned back and that, that is where the problem lies. The, the solution really has to be much more fundamental than that. And, and this is what the bill that was uh, um, launched, that was uh, uh, announced on, on Monday, I think that that is to be welcomed. There are serious flaws to that bill, unquestionably. They are flaws that could be rectified as it goes through Parliament. But at least there is some willing being shown by both Suella Braverman and, it seems, with backing from Number 10. So that is to be welcomed. I it's think not... So. The, the ultimate solution. No, no, I think I think what is to be welcomed is Rishi Sunak has sort of changed the narrative, hasn't he? Instead of being frightened um, to go anywhere near criticising the migrants, he's actually come right out and said that it's unfair on the people who come here legally. Mm -hmm. It's unfair on the communities that are having to put these people up in hotels in their own communities. It's unfair on the towns and villages of Kent and Sussex where these people are landing and sometimes living rough because that's what's happening, by the way. I'm sure you know this in parts of Kent and Sussex. Some of the migrants who don't get picked up are simply living in the woods in tents. I yeah. mean, it's unbelievable what's going on. Um, it's unfair on, on, uh, on, on our pensioners. It's unfair on our homeless people. It's unfair on our veterans, the people who are suffering in this country, to see uh, people that. coming here illegally, uh, getting money, uh, being given cards to spend money on, being allowed to walk freely around, um, not being uh, watched at seemingly by anyone. And also, we've heard an awful lot this week of people saying one of the reasons they like coming here is that they can disappear into the black economy and never be seen again. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all that, Mike. Um, it's good that uh, Richie Sunak, Sir Ella Braverman even, have now gone along with the sort of things that we've been pointing out right. and agree that it is unfair. And we've been saying it for how long? The last... Well, I was, I was saying, actually, funnily enough, to, um, uh, to, to Jeremy Carl this morning, um, somebody sent me an interview I did with Stephen Doughty, who's a Labour MP from Wales, um, and we were arguing backwards and forwards about Brexit, whether there should be a second referendum. And I actually brought up migrants arriving on the shores of, on, of boats illegally in this country, and it was four years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Well, 
it, it all started really in October 2018. And that was when Sajid Javid was Home Secretary and he declared an emergency and he was going to deal with it and really substantially did nothing. Yeah. Then uh, it was Priti Patel who had a go and I think her heart was in the right place, but clearly totally incapable of, of dealing with, with the issue or yeah. putting in place the necessary legislation. Well, she, it seems to me, was stymied by the Home Office and by the civil servants in that Home Office who are blatantly uh, on the side of allowing as many people to come into this country as possible. Well, to a certain extent, although uh, as a former Home Office official, I would say that ultimately it's got to be ministers that take... Uh, the blame for anything hmm. that that happens that's the way our system works yeah and and i i won't have it frankly that that civil servants are entirely to blame i know that the the officials working at the border they were bloody hard sorry excuse me I that's all right that's perfectly that. allowable and accepted <laughs> the independent republic uh, has, has does not have well, zero tolerance of these things it's a bit early in the day my kids have never heard me swear <laughs> <laughs> No, the, 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 the fact is that the, the whole mess really has been building up. This bill is really an opportunity now actually to get a grip. If they miss this opportunity and if the bill that eventually becomes an act is inadequate in the way that the Nationality and Borders Act or the Immigration and Borders Act was uh, um, last year, then I'm afraid they'll be held to pay come the next elections. Yes. And that, that is, I suppose, why Rishi Sunak and Suella Raverman are now coming round to our way of thinking. But, and this is a big but, we're not there yet because this bill, as I say, has serious flaws and they've got to sort those out as the bill progresses through Parliament. And they can do that. The government has the majority in Parliament that ca that allows them to do that. Mm. And the House of Lords, which is going to be absolutely against it, they will try and destroy this bill, they can only hold things up. In the end, if the government means business, then I'm afraid they've got to uh, make sure that the act that eventually reaches the statute book is one designed to achieve the task mm. of stopping the boats and stopping illegal immigration generally. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be root and branch, hasn't it? They've got to go after the lefty lawyers, as uh, Rishi Sunak is so careful to point out uh, that Keir Starmer, he numbers amongst them. Um, and they're going to have to, I think, eventually stop the legal aid um, gravy train. They're going to have to say, look, if you come to this country illegally uh, as a migrant and you are refused asylum, you know, my, I don't mind them maybe even having legal aid to make the first application if that's required, although many would say that's not required either. But certainly once you've been denied asylum once, then you don't get legal aid to appeal. You shouldn't get that. Once you're down, you're down, you're out. Sorry. Yeah, well, I, I, I agree, Mike. Um, certainly legal aid, I mean, the way the law is, is framed now, there's no, no alternative to giving legal aid. Mm. Maybe that's something that 
they could look at as as this bill. Well, there is an uh, alternative. Go through Parliament. I give them sweet FA. There's the alternative. Nothing. Thank you. <laughs> That's it. Well, well you know, you, I mean, the trouble is, well, we are we are a soft touch out. The only way we're going to fix this is to stop being a soft touch. Everyone in France knows it. The French say people come here because we give people a good time. They don't put them up in hotels in France. They're sleeping on the streets. Well. Uh, yeah, we, we, we are seen as a soft touch, but also our laws and our controls are seen not as a soft touch. They're seen as being wide open. Uh, what, what the smugglers and traffickers do is effectively stick two fingers up at Britain, really. And, and that's when they, they believe that they can uh, capitalise on our softness and our stupidity sometimes in allowing to happen what uh, what has been going on for years now. Yeah, and they're going to continue to milk the system as long as it's milkable, you know. But you have to cut all that off. You have to make it more difficult for them to gain access to all of the free stuff that they can get here, and that, uh, then they won't come. Absolutely. And, and that's why, really, when we talk about lefty lawyers... Yes, there are lefty lawyers and there are a lot of lawyers who do very well out, out of the whole system. But what we also need to do is close the loopholes that they exploit with alacrity. Yes. That's where the problem lies, is the fact that we give them the openings for them to make full use of. And in the end, delay, delay, delay until we give up in the end and say, OK, you can stay. That is wrong. And nor should we even think about allowing people to stay here and granting them some sort of refuge simply because we can't get rid of them. Right. Because that is what underlies the whole uh, the whole process of reducing the backlog. We mustn't do yeah. that. And also, how ridiculous. The situation that we've seen today, one of the um, channel migrants who stabbed a student because he wanted to be deported from Britain. He'd already been sent out of the country once. He came back on a dinghy um, and they said to him in absolutely uh, uh, no uncertain terms, well, in order for you to be deported, you'll have to commit an act of violence. So he did and stabbed somebody. Yeah, well, I, it's, it's like the old lags who really can't wait to be sent back in because it's a way of life that uh, they've they've gotten used to mm. and they can't cope so send me back inside i'll commit another crime and this is what this guy he's probably wanted to go back to his own country for yonks and we've we've ignored it had he actually wanted to stay here we've said oh okay no problem yeah Absolutely right. Alp, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Alp Mamet, chairman of Migration Watch there with um, high hopes, I think you'd have to say, for this immigration policy, this new unveiled uh, stop the boats policy from Rishi Sunak and Suala Braverman. Let's see what comes out of this summit in Paris. We'll bring you uh, any developments there as soon as we can get them. Uh, coming up next, though, we're going to talk to John Redwood, Sir John Redwood, no less, about what is going on with the boats and the Anglo-French summit. On DAB+, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. How about this? Uh, on the boat people, says Tom in Milton Keynes, why doesn't the government back the charge the EU all its costs dealing with them? After all, that's where they're coming from. The money can be offset against a divorce settlement. Only money talks. The EU will move fast if it hits its pockets. Absolutely right. Well, this morning, there's a piece of the Times, and we're going to talk to Sir John Redwood about it, in which it says France is to be paid £200 million to stop the boats at source. Over a three-year period, the payments are expected to easily exceed that number, however. Uh, this is, of course, in the summit which is going on currently over in uh, France, the first summit between the two leaders of uh, the UK and France since Theresa May's time, apparently, in the past five years. So an extraordinary day. Um, but the problem is, I think an awful lot of people would agree with me that money perhaps is not the answer in this particular aspect. Let's talk to Sir John Redwood, uh, Tory MP, of course, for Wokingham. Sir John, a very good uh, afternoon to you. Hello. Thank you very much for joining us. I mean, you know, throwing money at things sometimes works, but we've thrown an awful lot of money at this, uh, particularly to the French. And every time we give them more money, they seem to send us more migrants. Yes, I think so. That doesn't look like a very fair deal, does it? Not really. Um, <laughs> I find it very odd that the French don't want to control this because you'd have thought that they'd want responsible transport operators. These are people running boat services, charging very expensive fares. They're overloading the boats and risking the lives of their passengers. I thought we had laws against that kind of thing in Western societies, and I don't really understand why France doesn't get on and enforce it more strongly, yeah. because whenever you see video from the beaches of France, you, you can see quite obvious examples of people overloading boats. Well, that's right. And um, if, if a film crew can find where they're coming from, surely to heavens, the security services of both the UK and France can find where they're coming from and stop them. Well, that's what you'd have thought. And there's also very good police and intelligence work on tracking bad monies around the system. Mm. This obviously generates an awful lot of cash, this trade. Uh, there must be ways of picking up the transactions when they buy the boats and when they deposit the proceeds or spend the proceeds. Yeah. Well, this is it. I mean, I was speaking earlier about how would it not be a better idea to go after the people traffickers who are making an awful lot of money, track the money, confiscate the money, stop their ability to buy these. I'm told they bring these boats in from China kind of in bulk and then they basically literally inflate them, stick a motor on the back of them, fill them with people. It's a very quick and efficient process. In fact, in some ways, it's the most efficient form of travel in the world at the moment because they're doing it and making absolute millions. But it can't be beyond the wit of our security services to track who these people are uh, and to do something about them. Well, I'm, I'm thinking of the French security services because they're the ones where the the operations take place. They are the ones who have the personnel and you'd have thought they have the French laws and the EU laws to stop just this type of thing. Yeah. I think the British authorities are very frustrated because, as I understand it, our British police are very keen to follow the gangs when, when they do arrive in Britain. But a lot of these gangs operate out of the continent uh, and they are visible in France, yeah. but they're not visible in the UK. So, again, I ask the French, why aren't you doing more to clamp this down with or without British money to help you. Yes. I mean, they'll say, of course, that they've got their own problems, and you can't really blame them for saying we don't particularly want these people in our country either. But they've got a massive problem on the streets of Paris. They've got sort of people living in tents. But what they don't do is put them up in hotels. There's another story this morning in The Telegraph saying that there's a £2 billion bill coming our way for putting all these migrants up in hotels, and there doesn't seem to be any end to that. And I'm told the number of hotels now commissioned is in excess of 500 up and down the country. No, it's, it's excessive, and that's why the government is right to make it a priority and why they've got to do something about it. But going back to the French, again, I would have thought people living in 
the Calais region and, and near the other channel ports where these people operate from, they would be very cross because it's actually a magnet to have all these people in camps just outside or, or close to their towns, which I would have thought they wouldn't want. Uh, and so it's another incentive when we thought the French authorities were coming back to the British hotels. Yes, I, I and most of my colleagues have hotels in our constituencies now, which we'd like to be available uh, for normal work, for celebrations, weddings, for business travellers and so forth. And that capacity has been taken away and the taxpayer is having to pay for it to house these people. So the government tells us two things. They say they are taking action to stop the boats, well, the sooner the better, because... Mm. Um, a lot of these people come in by these boats uh, and they're telling us they're looking for alternative accommodation, which is not so expensive uh, and could be adapted more more sensibly for this use. But I mean, the third thing they must do, the government, is come to earlier decisions about these people. Uh, why are these cases all so difficult and why is there such a long delay? Well, I mean, when you hear stories such as the ones that we are told are true, which is that one Home Office official can do one case a week, uh, of somebody applying for asylum. I mean, that's just simply not good enough. It's ludicrous, isn't it? No, and I think ministers have said that, and I think they are now raising their game because they certainly used to be able to do several cases a week rather than one case mm. a week. The productivity fell away. Uh, there will be a few cases that are, that are very complex and they need to demand more information and so forth, but a lot of cases must be very straightforward. I mean, if, for example, somebody is from Albania, surely that can be very straightforward because that is a safe country. And practically every other country in Europe faced with Albanians normally um, kindly sends them back yeah. because it's a safe country and they can go through all the proper processes in Albania. Yes. And I mean, I think the one thing Rishi Sunak has done well and successfully is he's sort of changed the narrative on this story. You know, the Tories are no longer frightened of talking about it uh, and they're no, no, no longer frightened of being accused of being evil and corrupt and horrible even though uh, there are those on the left like Gary Lineker who would continue to try and smear them with those kinds of ridiculous insults. But I think, generally speaking now, the British public, by and large, is behind cutting back on this, doing something about it, because enough is actually enough this time. Well, indeed. And we Brits are also very generous where there is a genuine demand or case. And so we set up safe routes for people. Uh, coming out of Afghanistan and coming out of Ukraine. And the British people were very engaged in offering homes for the Ukrainians on a temporary basis, understanding the need. And we have a safe route for for people from anywhere in the world where they may be uh, genuinely fleeing persecution or, or difficulties through community sponsorship. And again, there are lots of generous communities who, who are working with that scheme. So uh, we do want the right thing to be done by those who are fleeing tyranny and worse. But we do want to clamp down on economic migrants and others who are trying to play the system, uh, who seem to have quite a bit of money to pay for the boat trips and then often get legal aid when they arrive in Britain. Well, surely that has to stop as well, because I was saying this earlier to Alp Mamet from Migration Watch. Once you've been refused and your case has been denied, surely that should be the end of it. You shouldn't be allowed to get legal aid to then appeal, should you? Well, that's a very good point, and I hope that's what this new legislation, as, a, as amended when Commons had a good look at it, uh, tackles, because we, we want people to have fair processes, but we yeah. don't want them to be able to stay here for years trying different routes at our expense to upend a previous decision. Yes, and some have suggested, finally, uh, Sir John, um, could we not sort of threaten the French with something other than just throwing money at them and say, look, if you don't stop 
uh, allowing these people to flee your shores, uh, we might pull a few of your fishing licences. Well, I think that's difficult to retaliate expressly like that. But I do think we want a British government that is firm when the French are, are not helpful. Mm. And I quite understand why the Prime Minister would like friendly relations with them. But it's, it's got to come from both sides, hasn't it? Yes. Uh, and we, we need more goodwill from the French. I've just explained why I think it's in the French national interest to use the very considerable resource they've got to stop many more of these boats. Uh, and I think also that the French could be much more helpful over something like Northern Ireland and the Protocol, where I believe they've been one of the forces trying to make it more difficult for the UK uh, to control its laws and taxes in part of our own country, mm, uh, which, again, is not a friendly act. It really isn't. And I think the sooner we can call that out for what it is, the better. So, John, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. John Redwood there, uh, Conservative MP for Wokingham. Um, very much on our side on many stories and on many subjects here at Talk TV. Um, he agrees with me that legal aid surely has to be pulled. Because one of the reasons that these people say that, uh, um, you know, the migrants must be allowed to come here because every uh, so often some of them don't, allow, don't get past the asylum system, but something like 80% of them do. Well, that's all very well, but that's because the system is so easy to actually uh, get asylum from. All you've got to say is you can't send me home uh, because I'll be tortured or you can't send me home because I'm gay or you can't send me home because I'm wanted for murder. That Albanian bloke who's living here, I think in Leicester, he can't go home, he says, because he told the Home Office, if I go home, uh, I might be murdered by uh, my ex-wife's family. Oh, why is that? Oh, because I killed her. What? Oh, you can stay then. Have a car wash. This is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.